Well, good morning. Uh, glad you're here today. Welcome. My name is Josh, and it's my privilege to be here with you. I've got my wife and my two youngest kids here uh, this morning. Sadie and Gracie are here. My oldest two are 17 and 15. They're serving this morning at Montrose campus. So they're busy doing their thing, and, and we're here with you, and we're glad to be. It's really fun to be here, uh, not simply because you guys are a great group of people, and you certainly are, uh, but really because of what God is doing here at this campus. One of the things that it, that's fun to notice interacting with our staff members is um, when you see a light in their eyes and you hear laughter from their mouths when they talk about what God is doing in the places where they're serving. And when I talk to Brett and Nicole and get to see that light and hear that laughter, almost always it's because of something that they watched God do here, either in your life or through you guys. And so uh, I just don't want you to take that for granted. Don't take that lightly. It makes a big difference. In fact, can, can we just take a second and uh, express our appreciation for Brett and Nicole and for what they're doing here? I also want to take some time to express appreciation for you. Some of you, many of you are involved in, in ways here at this campus uh, at Bridgewater, serving God in ways that people see and in serving God in ways that people do not see. So I want to thank you for the things that you do that people notice or that people overlook because God certainly doesn't overlook either of those things. So just want to thank you for that. God is using your efforts and... Um, and he's multiplying them to make a difference in people's lives. In fact, I would say that God is in the business of multiplication. There's an account in Matthew chapter 14 where uh, Jesus has just gotten some bad news and he wants to get alone. So he decides to withdraw and hordes of people follow him. And instead of being annoyed and bothered with them, Jesus looks at them and has compassion on them and decides these people are hungry. They need something to eat. Um, somebody bring me some food, please. And they bring Jesus these five loaves of bread and, and two fish. And Jesus does what Jesus does. And he multiplies uh, that bread and those fish and feeds more than 5,000 people. And he, he more than feeds them because we read in Matthew 14 that they have 12 basketfuls of food left over. There was more than enough. And what we see happen in that passage is that people just bring to Jesus what they have, and he multiplies it. They just bring what they could find, and, and God does what he does with what we bring and multiplies it and blesses thousands upon thousands of people. And it really, really is amazing. It wasn't enough. It wasn't all that his disciples would have needed to feed those people, but it's all that Jesus needed. And I want to encourage you that when you serve God by volunteering at Bridgewater or even in our community or as you make efforts in your workplace or in your family, God multiplies those efforts. And you might be disappointed with what you are able to bring, uh, but anything that you are able to bring, he is able to multiply. Those five loaves and two fish were not all that they needed to feed the people, but it's all that Jesus needed to feed all the people. And you exist here at Bridgewater Vestal because God has done a work of multiplication. God was doing a work at Bridgewater Church. God was doing a work at Ross Corners Baptist Church. And God desired, obviously, for that work to continue. And here we are. And it's our desire that God not only continue to work in you, 
but work through you as well. We believe that the story that God is writing here is not finished. And we think that the hope of the gospel is not just for those of us who choose to come to this building and who are here today, but for those who are yet unreached and who are beyond the reaches right now of this physical location. So we are praying and we are expecting about what God would do, not only in this place, but through all of you as you just bring to Jesus what you have. So we're encouraged. Thank you for being an encouragement uh, to those who, uh, who serve among you. And so I just want to urge you not to stop. And I would ask you to pray about what God would want to do through this place as a result of multiplying the efforts that you're bringing. So thank you for that. I will be around after service. Kristen, my wife, will be around as well. We'd love to get to know you, interact with you uh, a little bit, a lot, doesn't matter, but we're happy to be here today. We find ourselves in week four of a five-week series entitled The Fight of Your Life, and we are learning that life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And it's not necessarily fought with tanks and guns and, and knives, but it's fought in the spiritual places. It's, it's an invisible war that we're engaged in whether or not we want to admit it. And today we want to engage in that fight. We want to engage in this fight of our lives. And we've been looking at a primary passage in this series from Romans chapter 7 where Paul describes this type of battle. In chapter 7 verse 21 he says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul talks about this war going on. He's admitting the fact that life is a battle. And and, and, and Paul's saying, I'm not going to go down quietly. I am not going to be taken captive as a prisoner of war. I choose to engage. But he, he talks about how difficult that is all throughout that chapter. And that is true of you and me as well. We are not the person right now that we ultimately want to be. I think that's true of all of us. I think we are not the finished version of ourselves right now. We're in process, and I want to invite each of us today, and we have been throughout this series, to declare war on the version of yourself that you don't want to be. Just say, you know what? There are habits, there are tendencies, there are choices that I am prone to make, that I hate it when I do them, I'm not proud of them, I don't like it. In fact, it just causes regret, it causes pain in my life and in other people's lives, and I want to be done with that. And though none of us fight this battle perfectly, I'm afraid that for various reasons, a few of us may have found ourselves just surrendering. And today we want to say, oh, no, 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 no surrender. We believe that we have what we need to fight this battle through our relationship with Jesus Christ. But I think we get it wrong by thinking that the challenges and the enemy and the evil is all outside of us. The hard truth is that I am my own greatest danger to my spirituality. Me. It's not the world. It's not the culture. It's not the media. It's not another person. I. Why? Because it's only the sin inside me that hooks me to the sin outside me. If I didn't have sin inside me, I I wouldn't be attracted to it. I wouldn't be drawn to it. I wouldn't be enticed by it. But I am 
because of what's true of me. And this is the battle that Paul is talking about. He finds this law at work. There's some evil in him that just wants to grab a hold of the evil outside of him and, and, and so take part in it. So today I want to invite you not to fall victim, but to get up and fight. Get up and fight. Fight for your life. Fight for your family. Fight for the people you love. But you cannot win a battle that you don't admit you're in. So we just want to make it very clear. We've been working our way through this series, the battle of our mouth, the battle of our mind. For Mother's Day, we talked about fighting for the next generation. And today, we're going to talk about the fight of our life against our sin. Our battle plan is to take one territory at a time until we are surrendered in every area of our lives to Jesus Christ. And we're going to declare war more specifically on the little choices, the little tiny habits that we form. That's what we're going to zero in on today is our, our habits. If you're looking for a subject line, like what are we exactly talking about? We're going to talk about just the little tiny choices and habits that we make. Um, a few weeks ago, I pulled out a high school yearbook. And for you, that's either a cause for great embarrassment and shame, or it's like your glory days. Like, look at it, look at, look at that. Look, look at me on the athletic field. Look at me on the basketball court. Look how high I was in the air. I made that shot, by the way. Game winner. Yep, I made that shot. And it is fun sometimes to open up those things and talk about your memories and show your kids. And they kind of look at you with eyes rolled and ask you why you were wearing what you're wearing. And you just look at them and say, why are you wearing what you're wearing? Um, it's pretty easy because, ooh, and it all comes back around. My kids look more like me in seventh grade than I looked like me at seventh grade. It's amazing how these styles come and go. And, and, and so there's not only your yearbook, but there's things connected to them like Facebook. And that enables you both to find people that are in that yearbook and be found by people who are in that yearbook. And what, for you, maybe that's a blessing. Maybe that's a curse. I don't know. But do you, have you ever had the experience where someone that you knew at one time, you knew them to be let's just say in the prime of their life, they were athletic, they were involved, they were engaged, they were a great person, and then you might find them later on social media and you ask yourself this question, what? <laughs> I heard it, what happened? How do you go from that to that? Maybe for you, you don't even need to look at someone else's account you just kind of wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, how <laughs> do I go from that to this? You know how? By the little choices that you've made. By the habits that you formed. In, in many ways, we have become the product of our choices. We have become the product of our habits. And for you right now, this is either sitting very lightly on your shoulders because maybe you're kind of happy with what you've done. But maybe that's not the case. This, a truth like that is sitting, sitting heavy on your shoulders because of the choices that you've made and the things that you've done, the habits that you've formed. I just want to ask all of you, no matter what camp you're in, hang on. Hang on. Keep listening. There is something here for you. 
So we're going to find ourselves in an Old Testament account. This is the kind of account where, as a kid, I loved hearing about it. We're in the book of Judges, looking at one particular man in the book of Judges. And his name, all I would have to do is just flex up here, and you would say, we're going to talk about... Yeah, and you wouldn't say that because I look like him, but only because of the flexing. Um, Samson. Samson was this strong man. We're at a period in Israel's history. The nation of Israel is going through this time where they're not following God. Though they are God's chosen people, they've turned their backs on him, and they're they're living in the promised land, the, the, the land that God promised to their ancestor Abraham to give him. But time and time again, they let their hearts be drawn away and enticed by idols. And then what happens as God disciplines this nation is he allows other neighboring nations to come in, attack them, take them captive, carry them off, rule over them, and they cry out to God. God sends a judge to help lead the people and get them back into the promised land and deliver them from their enemies. And this is a cycle that happens again and again. Why? Because there's a phrase again and again that appears in the book of Judges that says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's sort of the the baseline. That's where everyone is in the book of Judges. And so God, in his mercy, I don't know why he puts up with this, but I'm glad he does because he also, in ways, puts up with it in my own life. When I'm drawn away and I'm enticed and he continues to pursue me, he is pursuing the nation of Israel, and along comes this judge named Samson. And we're going to kind of do a flyover at significant altitude uh, of Samson's life. So if you have a Bible or a device, you're going to want to get to Judges chapter 13. If you're new to the Bible, as we all once were, and you're not sure how to navigate that, just ask the person next to you. It's totally fine. Help each other out. Get to that spot, and if all else fails, it's going to be on the screen behind me, so you can see it there as well. So what we're going to do is jump into the life of Judges and see in Samson's life how small choices led to huge consequences. Judges chapter 13, here is how it begins. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 and then skip to the end of the chapter. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, who had a wife who was childless, uh, she was unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son now, let's listen to this. These are, caref- these are important things for us to notice. Uh, you will have a son whose head is never to be touched with a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now to the end of the chapter, verse 24. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. Let's talk about this Nazarite vow. This, this, uh, this couple gets this message from God saying, you're going to have a child, congratulations, um, but he's going to be devoted to God from birth. A Nazarite vow was a special sacred vow that anyone could opt into in order to um, devote themselves to God or to, set, to get ready for a specific task for God. And there are basically three parts to this vow. One, don't cut your hair. Two, don't eat grapes, raisins, drink wine, anything from the vine, you are not to have it. And the third part was you're never to touch a dead body of anything. 
All right, not a person, not an animal, nothing. You're just to keep yourself set apart. So you could identify these people by their hair. You could identify these people by whether or not they were a social drinker. All right, and you could identify them by the fact they would never be around any kind of death, no dead body, no corpse of any kind. The haircut thing is important information. We're going to hang on to that, and we're going to we're going to touch it later. So God laid this vow on Samson even before he was born. So mom and dad had a clue what was to happen with this boy. Now, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, here's what this little boy devoted to God, here's how uh, his life was going. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. Let's just stop right there. Samson notices a girl she happens to be a Philistine. Let's not forget the Philistines are the people who have taken Israel captive. They are the enemy. Apparently, that doesn't matter to Samson. Verse 2, when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Mom, Dad, you taking this from Junior? You shouldn't. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Okay, we could just camp right there and just do a parenting message. We're not going to do that. We've got other things to consider uh, Samson's choices. But this is, this is not good. Israelites were under strict instruction from God not to marry people from surrounding nations. Why? Because their hearts would be led astray to worship other gods and take them away from their devotion to the one true God. Samson responds to his parents' objections, basically saying, but I know in my heart that she's the one I want to be with. I just know. I just have this feeling. She's the one. He's, he's drawn by his feelings, and mom and dad end up giving in. It's really a picture, and this is a little spoiler alert, but Proverbs 14, 12, take a look at this first. I'm just going to show it to you on the screen. It says this, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. This is wired into all of us. It's wired into our culture. It's wild, wired into our media that we just need to go based on, you know, that gut feeling, just what feels right. And the writer of Proverbs, Proverbs says, yeah, there's that way. It appears, it appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. If we give in to our feelings, ultimately, we're headed for pain, destruction, and even death. Now, let's be honest. Is it the end of the world that Samson marries a Philistine? Okay, he chose the wrong person. End of the world? Can't he, can't he just, like, make the best with what he's got and get on with life? And I would say, yeah, he probably could have because one decision doesn't define you. And there's hope for us in that. A moment's decision does not define you. But for Samson, as we'll see, this is kind of a hinge point for the rest of his life. This is the first we see in Samson's life of how he's responding to God's instructions, God's word for his life. Samson, for a moment, says, but I want this woman. His parents give in, and he goes after it, and we just see this tilt in Samson's life, and, and we're going to just trace that little by little. No, not, not a life-altering, end-of-game type of decision. And God actually redeems it. He uses it later on, and we'll see that. 
But I think it sets the tone for how Samson viewed God's word for him for the rest of his life. Because we follow the story in chapter 14 where Samson is walking along. And now Samson is blessed by God with immense strength. So much so, you can read in uh, chapter 14. By the way, we're not going to cover everything. So if you want to read Judges 13, 14, 15, 16 sometimes this week, it'll be a great time. And if you are a parent who bought your child the Action Bible, check that out in that little Bible there. In fact, you would enjoy it yourself. They do a great job with this account. But this lion, this young lion, comes upon Samson, and Samson, uh, the writer says, rips it apart with his bare hands. He kills it and leaves it alone. He goes on later to throw himself a a little party, and and we know from the language that this is written in that this party was basically a week-long drinking party. Now remember, Samson was not to be involved with dead bodies, kills a lion. He's not to be involved in anything regarding grapes, the fruit of the vine, and he has a week-long drinking party. And can you imagine Samson throwing himself this party, a wedding party, because he married this Philistine, and he's got kegs, and he's got shots, and he's got wine glasses, and everyone else is drinking and having a good time, and Samson's over there drinking an Aquafina. Now, you guys, you guys have a good time. I'm just going to have this water here. It's not explicit, But based on the trajectory of his life, I don't think that's what he would be doing. So Samson ignored God's command that we find in number 6-6 about not touching dead bodies. In fact, later on with this lion, he comes back to where he had killed that lion, and he notices in its open carcass um, that lion had evidently gotten into a honeycomb. And so it's lying open, and there's bees, I imagine, and he sees the honey, and he reaches down, and he scoops it out, and he eats it. Doesn't tell mom and dad about it, but now he's just married a Philistine, handled a dead body, he has drunk alcohol, choice, choice, choice. Any one of these choices, not a deal breaker, but they show us a trajectory in his life. Turns out this marriage was a bad idea. She ends up Uh, hooking up with his friend. He gets angry. He kills a thousand people. uh, There's a story in here, kids. This is a great one. He he captures 300 foxes, ties their tails together, lights somehow their tails on fire, and sends them through the crops of the Philistines, and it burns down all their crops. How you do that, how that happens, I don't know. But how do you tear a lion apart with your bare hands? Also don't know. But he was strong and blessed with strength by God. Some time goes by. Samson seems to have forgotten everything that had happened. Look at chapter 16 with me. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. Talk about swagger. This guy goes into Philistine territory sleeps with a prostitute, and he's got all these enemies surrounding him, just waiting to kill him. They made no move during the night, saying at dawn, we'll kill him. Samson just seemed to can't, he can't seem to help himself. Here he goes again, breaking his vow. Zero self-control. They try to entrap him and kill him, but he ends up running out of there, tears down the city gate, and drags the gate along with him, and he still hasn't learned his lesson. Look at verse 4, chapter 16. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Sorek, by the way, is a, it means valley of grapes. 
So Samson is walking through Timnah, where there are vineyards. He sees a woman in the Valley of Grapes. Here he is. It doesn't say he drank, but what's he doing around all the grapes when he's not allowed to have any of that? The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. He, he takes up with this woman named Delilah. Now, do you think after his last experiences that he, he thinks this one's going to work out? He's had two bad experiences with women. Maybe he's a hopeless romantic. Maybe he just has no self-control. Maybe he's just writing his own script, doing his own thing, and will not be hindered by anything that God has to say. He's going to do it his own way. But he rolls the dice here with number three. Maybe he was a hopeless romantic. Maybe something much worse. But he made a habit of small moral compromises that made the next compromises easier and easier. And this leads us to the big truth and the first one that I want to introduce you to today. And that's this. The habits you allow in your life today are going to determine who you become tomorrow. The habits, the choices, the patterns that you begin today will determine who you become tomorrow. So maybe you're here seated in a blue chair and maybe it's in the area of dating. You're making small compromises with who you choose to engage in a relationship with. Maybe it's not that. It's the type of movies you watch or the type of music you listen to. Just it's not everything. Listen, you're a good person, do a lot of good things, you're a family person, you know, you're respectable at work, but you've got this little area of your life that just kind of belongs to you. And you think you can just protect it and keep it isolated. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's your finances. You do some things with your money that's just a little questionable. Maybe you're checking emails late at night alone. And you know you shouldn't, but it's just emails. Maybe you just happen to stop by your coworker's office, just, you know, just to check in, just to say hi, just to chat. When you know in your heart it's more than that. And maybe you're saying to yourself, it's not a big deal. I can handle it. It's just an innocent cup of coffee. It's just a lunch. It's, it's just, you know. Sin doesn't usually go from zero to 100. You've got to hit every mile per hour in between. And I think that we have become really desensitized to those small shifts in speed. Not realizing that you can never get to 100 without first getting to one, to 10, to 40. You can't do it. One small moral compromise doesn't seem like a big deal, but when it comes to your moral life, there is no such thing as a small decision. They add up. The future you is just an exaggerated version of the current you. Time will not fix anything. It merely deepens and further reveals who we really are. 
If you're kind today, you'll be kinder tomorrow. Cruel today, crueler tomorrow. The types of relationships you are developing as a young person here, if your kid's in here, listen to me for a second, talking to your parents. If you develop small patterns of disobedience and disrespect right now, those grow. And they're not just applied to your parents. Go ahead and get a job and treat your employers the way you're treating your parents. How is that going to go for you? Newsflash, you won't make it. Parents, some of you are heartbroken because you are now bearing the fruit of the choices you made when your kids were young. This haunts me as a parent. I've got kids from 17 to 12, and I'm asking my, I find myself asking myself all the time, is this going to help me have a relationship with them when they're 30? Or hinder that relationship? They add up. They mean something. They're not small Every time you make a decision, it's like a domino falling over. As everyone knows, what happens when you stack up dominoes, they fall down, you know, everyone knocks the other one down. But did you know, uh, this is interesting, uh, a physicist with the last name Van Leeuwen discovered that every time a domino falls, it generates enough force sufficient to knock down a domino twice as big as itself. Domino, domino. That means that our decisions, like in dominoes, have a phenomenally powerful choice. We have a, bring a phenomenally powerful choice to us. One choice affects another, and it's not just small to small, it's small to huge. In fact, here's what our choices in dominoes looks like. I think if we could see our choices like that, we would think twice about making that small compromise. I think we would think twice about starting that small habit. The stakes just get bigger and bigger and bigger the more you get. And this was true for Samson as well. Let's see how his story ends. Let's go to Judges chapter 16, verse 6. Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great, great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. She tied them with them. When the men hidden in the, with the men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. She attempts time and time again to get him to divulge the secret of his great strength. Why it's tied to his hair, I don't exactly know. But the time comes when he finally gives in to this woman. In fact, in verse 15, she says to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Sam, why is he still with her? That's what I want to know. 
But here's why I think. Because sin makes you stupid. That's a very blunt way of just speaking reality. Sin so clouds our vision, it just makes us stupid. Unaware of reality. We begin to see ourselves as the exception, not the rule. And that's exactly what Satan, or what Samson had done. Our Halstead campus pastor, Matt Puzer, has said this before, and it's worth repeating. Sin most often enters through the door intentionally left open. For Samson, he had this vulnerable spot for ladies. Maybe that's not it for you. Maybe it's something else. But what's striking is I can read this account and say, you are an idiot, Samson. In fact, I have a skill that I know you have too. And that skill is to look at someone else's life and to look at their choices and say, you are an idiot. What are you doing? But I also have a skill that I'm confident you have too. And that is ignoring my own choices. Ignoring my own tendencies toward being an idiot. We are experts at spotting it in other people's lives. And we are ignorant at best, unwilling at worst, to admit it in our own lives. It's so easy for us to begin making our own compromises, walking down our own destructive road, and like Samson, thinking, I got this. Samson says to himself in chapter 16, I'll just break the strings as I've done before. But verse 16 in Judges 16 says, With such nagging she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb, in case you couldn't tell that by my lifestyle. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands after putting him to sleep and on her lap. She called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out before, as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles they set him to grinding grain in the prison. Delilah, like many of the temptations and tendencies in our lives, just kept nagging, nagging, nagging until he gave in. That sexual temptation that just keeps drawing you away. That greedy temptation that keeps you to continuing to find ways to make money or to make money to get money where you shouldn't be getting it. The anger that promises you control. See, this, this brings us to a second truth, and that's this, that sin promises freedom but brings bondage. Sin is never freedom. It always is labeled as freedom. It sells as freedom, and it delivers as bondage. This explains why maybe you've settled for living with your life dominating sin or sins. It's because in small moments, you thought of yourself more able. You thought sin less potent. When really, 
you were less potent and sin was more powerful because you left the door open. And now you don't even know how to get out. You thought, I'll shake myself free as before. But today you find yourself bound up by your besetting sin. But if we follow the story of Samson, what we learn is this. No, no person has more power to do damage in my life than I do. No person has more power to do damage in my life than I do. We can stop playing the victim card. We have made choices here. But thankfully, thankfully, Jesus reveals to us that no one has more power to rescue my life than Jesus does. And here's where a really, really tough, depressing, difficult situation begins to turn. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I don't know where you find yourself today, but whatever path you have been on, whatever weight you are carrying, whatever habit was, now, was formerly a habit but now sort of defines your life, there is hope for you in Jesus today. You do not have to be lured in and enticed and give in to your sin anymore. Jesus brought us victory from our Delilah, from our sin that so easily entangles us. It was never God's design for Satan to live in bondage. It's not God's design for you to live in bondage to your sin either. We're called to walk in the victory that we already have. Jesus has defeated sin. You don't have to live in it. When Jesus went to the cross, he broke the chains that will hold you to your sin. When you run to your sin today, you do it by choice, but you do not do it by necessity. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And if that's the case, we need to ask ourselves, why would we move to go put the chains back on? So I want to close with a question. It's this, are your habits moving you towards freedom or towards bondage? How like Samson are we today? Studies show that up to 45% of what we do in a day are simply habits, meaning 45% of our decisions that we make in a day are pre-made decisions. I wonder what of that percentage I have devoted to God. I wonder how I have done that. Samson's account, please hear me, Samson's account does not describe an unavoidable reality, but simply predictable consequences of intentional choices that don't have to be yours and don't have to be mine. And I wonder what kind of habits you're forming today, positive ones like church engagement. And I didn't say church attendance, I said church engagement. Are you engaged in the life of what God is doing here at Bridgewater Vestal? How about your Bible reading? Do you engage in God's word? What, what is filling your mind today? What is filling your mind during the week? How about community? Do you allow people to actually speak into and look into the habits that you formed? Do you allow that? Do you even want that? Do you value that? How about repentance? 
What habits are you forming when you, when you do something that you know is wrong? How quick are you? How willing are you to repent? Or maybe the negative habits that you have formed, your entertainment habits, your friend choices, substances that you use, relationships that you choose to engage in. It's not just followers of Jesus that understand that habits lead to bigger things. People from all different walks of life and backgrounds have noticed this. Stephen Covey, famous life organizer, says this, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. I would ask you, if you're writing things down or have another way of remembering, what what would be three habits, three positive habits that you need to begin to lean into this week? What areas of your life do you know you need to breathe into to their sails? As God's word is open, the spirit of God works, and I wonder what he is surfacing in your heart. On the other hand, I wonder what three habits have you formed that you need to begin walking away from this week. As I said, sometimes the yearbook and things like Facebook are funny, interesting, sometimes very discouraging. And I wonder, I do wonder how this is sitting on you today. And I wonder what you're going to need to do about it. Let me encourage you not to do it alone. And maybe today I have just scratched the surface on something that for you is much, much deeper. I want to tell you today that there is more hope for you than you could even imagine. Our situation is actually better than we thought. Look behind me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's, here's the gospel for us today. Because of Jesus, you and I are not simply the culmination of our choices and our habits. Because of Jesus, we are the culmination of Jesus' choices and habits. We have become the righteousness of God. God looks at us as though Jesus' choices and his habits were ours, and God punished Jesus as though Jesus' choices and Jesus' habits were ours. That's the beauty. That's how God can step into a Samson situation where you and I have made terrible tragic, small choices and habits that have become now huge and changes the script, changes the story. He can do it for you today. There's a new identity available for you today. You do not have to be tied to the choices you've made. There is victory over compromise for you today. You do not have to walk in defeat the rest of your life. And there is power for you today to form new God-pleasing habits. So we can, we can be like Samson today and let the small stack up 
and ultimately become huge. Or we can say, from wherever we are, Jesus, I need you. Will you please redefine me? Make me new. Would you pray with me today? God, I am convicted that far too often and for far too long, I have been willing to just live with sins that have become habitual to me. They just come naturally to me. They feel right. They feel familiar. I'm comfortable there. Today I'm asking that you would help me and would you help all my brothers and sisters here to feel very uncomfortable with any choices or habits that we have made or formed that are not pleasing to you. And would you convince us through your word and through your spirit that we do not have to be the culmination of our choices. We can be the righteousness of God. So help us to take whatever next step we need to take and talk to whomever we need to talk to to find hope in Jesus today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.